0: A warmer me, Welcome to Lovey, Las Vegas for Ghost to Go Soup with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beaston Family Podcast. And we've got a great podcast for you. He's in the second segment. We're going to go out to the great state of Wisconsin, a man that I wound up going to college with. Tony Baddock does a great job covering all things Wisconsin sports and also is a big fan of the Duke Blue Devils. He is going to be joining me in the second segment. We're going to be talking about what we've seen from Duke this season. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Michigan versus Nebraska game, what we've seen out of the Wisconsin teams, including UW-Milwaukee as well, and just takeaways from the first month or so of the season. So, going to have a good time there in the final segment. Going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for the this is college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. we've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at UnitedSquorty1. Keep in mind, Letters M. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline, and the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated, and from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really didn't get in anything today, and we did not have too much college basketball yesterday, and I'm recording this just before the look at as both Tuesday and Wednesday morning. If you're out there on the East Coast, I'm actually going to be on VEASAN from 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern. If you're looking Pacific time, that's Monday and Tuesday from 10 p.m. Two 1am, so Monday bleeding into Tuesday and Tuesday bleeding into Wednesday. I'm going to be giving you guys quite a few individual team trends on there, so have no fear. I've got you covered with regards to live programming and this podcast when it comes to providing great insights on Visa when it comes to college basketball, but let's see what we wound up getting yesterday. Dive into the results, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better.
1: Games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the Rowdy Recap.
0: You wound up having two ranked teams in action on On Monday and they had vastly different results as you wound up having Texas Southern who wound up coming into this game 0-7 against Florida but 5-2 against the spread. They don't just wind up covering the spread. They get an outright win as a north of 20 underdog by a count of 69 to 54. I think that with regards to the amount of points an underdog was, this was the biggest underdog win of the season. Texas Southern, a team that doesn't shoot a great from three, they go 5 of 11 from three-point range, and what really did it for them, they wound up completely bludgeoning. Florida on the glass, 46-23. This was also the New York Post play of the day, and, well, it got there easily, and Texas Southern wound up doing all this while well, losing the turnover battle by a count of 22-10. to 10. So, some very good dominance there. Meanwhile, Houston, they were able to dominate Elkhorn State by a count of 77-45. to 45. Elkhorn State... Right around a 33.5 point underdog on the close. On an open more like 31. So this depended on where you wound up getting the line. But for Houston, they go 16 of 21 at the free throw line. Only 7 of 23 from 3 point range. A little bit uncharacteristic of them. But 5 of those 3's were made by Marcus Sasser. Who wound up having 17 points. You wound up getting 11 boards out of Jamal Sheed as well. He was able to do a nice job. And then off the bench, a combined 30 points from Josh Carlton along Trayvon Mark. And for Alcorn State, a bunch of as actually covered a few numbers against some quality teams. 20 turnovers. Houston won the rebound battle 40-32. to 32. They just really didn't stand a shot in this one. The more marquee game of the day was out there in the Big Ten, Iowa. They wind up losing to Illinois by kind of 87-83. Keegan Murray played in this game and played in this game very solidly. He was able to give the team 19 points, but for Iowa, they wind up going just 8-23 of 23 from three-point range of where Illinois really won this game on the glass. 52-23, to 23, they wound up out-rebounding Iowa, so even though Illinois was without, in this game, Andre Corbello, they were just fine in that aspect, and honestly, they've been playing better without Andre Corbello out there on the floor, I'm going to call it what it is, and you know who they really needed out there? Kofi Coburn, 17 points, 18 rebounds, he was very solid, but beyond that as well, Coleman Hawkins, he only wound up having 7 points in this game, but... He chipped in their five assists, seven boards, did a good job of being able to help steady the ship for this team for Iowa. Only four turnovers. So to their credit, they won that battle by a count of 18-4. So you wound up having a big disparity with regards to rebounds, a big disparity when it came to turnovers, and that wound up settling that liberty. They took their liberties on Delaware State. 96 to 60. They wound up getting a big win. Delaware State loses by 36 while well, going 10 to 21 from three-point range. Part of the reason why is because they wound up going nine of 37 on their two-point shots as well. And for Liberty, 21 of 38 from three. Now, Towson had a big night from three. We'll get to them in a second, but they went 21 of 38 from three point range. Just absolutely incredible. Off the bench, Brody Pebbles was able to have 18 points as he went four of six from three point range. Keegan McDowell, how about him going six of eight from three point range? This was just absolutely superb. And for Liberty, they wind up actually losing the turnover battle by a kind of nine to eight. They won the rebound battle, but I mean, this was just a vulgar display of three point shooting. in the Towson, they wanted making seven out of their first 10 threes. Overall, went 12 of 25 against Kent State as they go on the road. And they get a win by a kind of 73 to 58 for Kent State. Just seven to 28 from three. And they just couldn't hit water if they follow the boat. I mean, they went. Went 29% from the floor. Actually did a solid job of being able to pull in some offensive rebounds. They wound up having just 27 total rebounds. Towson won that battle 41-27 to just because well, Kent State missed so many shots. And so Towson, they couldn't miss. They won 53% overall from the floor. So even though Kent State won the turnover battle by a count of 14-6, to they just stood no chance in this one. And for Towson, what was big? Antonio Rizzuto, who wound up missing much of the beginning part of the season along Nicholas Timberlake combined for 40 points. This was a Towson team that came into this game Actually shooting about twenty-nine and ep percent for three point ranges and Cameron Olden. He can go off for a triple-double at any time, and he very nearly did so. 10 assists, 11 rebounds. Couldn't get there on the points as he had just nine. So he was able to put up a nice display. at State, they wind up getting a win but no cover against a Presbyterian team that was clearly game in this one. 71 to 66 for Presbyterian. They go 11 to 26 from three point range. And really is a little bit of an undervalued team that might be able to provide some value out there in the Big South. Rayshon Harrison is averaging darn near 19 points per game. He had just 13 in this one, but you had 14 points, seven boards out of Winston Hill as well. And then when you take a look at Morehead State, G. and I, Broom was cleaning up. 70 points, 8 boards, and 6 blocks. You wound up having Taylon Cooper have 11 points, 12 assists. As Morris State, they win this game because they went 11 of 22 from 3-point range. So, that closing total of the low 120s, that was too low. Colgate, they've been able to catch some overs for you as well. As so you wound up seeing a lot of overs on Monday. 89-61. to 61. Colgate just completely bludgeons Columbia on that despite the fact that they did not wind up scoring in the final 248 of this game. They wound up showing a little bit of mercy, but for the Raiders of Colgate, in this. This one, Nelly Cummings, he was a coming at Columbia with a scoring 26 points, 67 three-point range, another big three-point shooting performance. 18 of 31 for Colgate. That is minty fresh for your cover. And for Columbia, 19 turnovers, they were just completely outgunned in this one as every single Colgate starter wanted up being to put-up double figures. And then you wound up having Mercer be able to go on the road. They take down Coastal Carolina by a count of 74-69. to 69. Mercer does it. Despite going just eleven of thirty-six from three point range, where they really won this game, was the fact that they were able to do a nice job of being able to take care of the ball. Only seven turnovers in this one. Meanwhile, for Coast Carolina, they do go nine of nineteen from three-point range. Vince Cole, the St. John's transfer, had seventeen points in this one. Isan Mustafa, ten point seven rebounds. But the fact that Mercer was able to hang in there on the glass, that was very big for them. As Felipe Haas was able to fill it up with thirteen point seven boards and off the bench, sixteen points out of James Glisten, helped the team glisten their way to a cover and wound up seeing a nice quality under in the New Mexico State versus New Mexico game, so that's what we wound up seeing in college basketball on Monday. A little bit of a short one because we didn't have too many games, and I'm also on the lookout on VSIM, but coming up next, we head out to the great state of Wisconsin. Tony Badak is a man that I wound up doing radio with while I was in college. He does a great job following all things Wisconsin sports. We're going to be talking with him about the Duke Blue Devils. We're going to be talking some Big Ten. We're going to be talking some Big East. We're going to be talking about a few of tonight's games, and we're going to be talking some UW Milwaukee as well, so wide-ranging chat is coming your way next right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the
1: Beeson Family Podcast.
2: You can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what?
0: And we're back here at lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast, and it is great to have on our guest, as this is a man that I actually went to college with back when we were out there in the great city of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, 90.3 WRST. As we've got Tony Baddock on the podcast, he's joined me a lot. When it comes to my baseball podcast as well, it does a great job covering all things Wisconsin sports out there in the great cheese land State, as you're able to follow Tony Baddock, at tbedoc10 on Twitter. And Tony, it is always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me.
5: Absolutely. Always have a fun time on.
0: Always love having you aboard. And first things first, I know you're a man that you do a great job when it comes to being able to take a look at Wisconsin, but also taking a look at Duke as well. When it comes to the Blue Devils, they did wind up losing that game to Ohio State a couple of days ago. But when I take a look at the hierarchy of college basketball, I do think that Duke has been able to establish themselves as a top five team. What do you think is really... The outlook look for this team moving forward because I do think that they're the best team in the ACC, really, if by nothing else, by default, just because there's really <laughs> not a lot of other teams that are playing well. But I do like what I've seen on this team so far this season.
5: Yeah, and especially coming off of the year that they had last year, um, it really has been encouraging. Of course, that'll happen when you have these five-star recruits that you can continually bring in. John Shire and Olin Smith have done a great job recruiting and continuing that even after Coach K leaves after this year. But obviously, Paulo Bancaro, one of the premier stars in college basketball right now, you love what he's been able to bring. You love the veteran leadership of guys like Wendell Moore, who's really taken another step as he's in his junior season and the development he's shown so far in his career at Duke. And then you've got a... Bunch bunch of other key players really stepping in and filling in roles. I do love their front court. Mark Williams appears to continue his development as a big man in the post, especially just as a rim protector. He's averaging over three blocks a game. And then the transfer Theo John from Marquette has also been a really nice addition. So they've got a pretty good rotation there at the five and a really versatile team. As far as the loss to Ohio State, it was going to be a tough formula coming off of that big emotional victory against Gonzaga, then going on the road for your first true road test for this pretty relatively young team. But you mentioned it, the ACC, it does appear that there is a pretty clear drop-off after this Duke team. They should contend for the conference title as well as a one seed come March.
0: With Duke, I do think that it's going to be a very good final year for Coach K, and certainly they're off to a nice start. As we do, have Tony Baddock joining me on the podcast. And Tony, when it comes to Big Ten as well, we've already seen some Big Ten conference play, which I think is really interesting to say the least. <laughs> but I do think that it's going to be a fascinating conference moving forward because right now at this point, Seems like it's Purdue and everyone else. Coming into the year, I was a little bit more bullish on Michigan. And we're going to be seeing them on Tuesday hitting the road to face off against Nebraska, which I think that that could be a little bit of a sneaky game for them. But when it comes to the Big Ten, I really do think that it's Purdue at number one. And then there's a whole gobble of other teams in the middle. And I do think that Wisconsin and Iowa, two teams that I thought had lost a lot of pieces, were going to be down have been able to fortify themselves as teams that might be towards that top half, that top five of the Big Ten.
5: Yeah, and I think you've seen that indication from Wisconsin, who's really put together a really nice start to their season. It's highlighted most recently by that big victory over Marquette. Anytime you see a Badger team scoring close to 90 points, you have to really kind of open your eyes, and you don't see it too often just with their no. style of ball. But Johnny Davis, he he had a great game, and his uh, continued production really bode well for this team. you have also got Tyler Wall who's dominating down low as well. The Bad Badgers should be a fun team. Purdue, I don't think that there's anybody quite close to them, but it is a pretty nice cluster at the top between Indiana, Illinois. Northwestern's put together a nice couple of wins. Minnesota, I mean, they still yet to lose a game. So it will be interesting to see how this conference shakes out and already kind of looking as one of the top conferences in the country. But I think the Badgers will be right there in the thick of it, as they always seem to be. never really have that elite star power, but just consistent quality basketball that you've come to expect over the program. But Purdue is in another class right now, and they continue to roll continuing that undefeated season and right now look to be as it stands right now here early in the month of December as the team to beat in the country.
0: An absolutely massive win for Minnesota a few nights ago when they wound up going to Mississippi State being able to get a win there and they're a team that many people including myself thought were going to (laughs) be in the bottom two of the conference and so far so good for them and when it comes to just the hierarchy of college basketball as well. You mentioned it with Marquette. They do wind up taking the loss, but by and large, I like what I'm seeing on this Marquette team, and I like what I'm seeing on the Big East as well. I was a little bit sour on the Big East coming into the season, but I think that Marquette is in good hands with Shaka Smart, obviously. When you wind up giving up north of 90 points to Wisconsin, that means that you're probably kicking up your tempo a little bit, (laughs) but you just take a look up and down this conference. Aside from Georgetown, who they just have not looked good when you wind up losing on your home floor to Dartmouth, you know that it's going to be a little bit of a long year for you. And I'll throw in there, Butler, as well. Butler, not been great. They're going to be in, in action on Tuesday against Oklahoma. I fully expect them to lose that game quite comfortably. But – Other than really those two teams, the entirety of the Big East has been solid, and DePaul might not be last this year.
5: (laughs) Yeah, that's something to say, too. But you look at their non-conference wins that teams in this conference have had. I mean, UConn, Seton Hall, Xavier, all with big wins. Providence, who beat the Wisconsin Badgers, that's going to be a nice win come March. So, it's pretty nice and shaping up, and I've been very interested to see what Shaka Smart was able to bring to the Marquette program. It's bringing it back to Wisconsin, and it looks like things seem to be clicking. There's a lot of excitement early on. A couple of losses here, but they have Got a really big opportunity coming up next weekend when they welcome in UCLA. That's a game I'll actually be at. So very excited. Big opportunity for Marquette who has put on another resume building win, getting a top five team in the country. So it should be a good one and a fun conference to watch as it plays out down this regular season.
0: I totally agree with you. As we do have Tony Beddock does a great job holding it down in the great state of Wisconsin, joining me on the podcast. And I know that we talked about Wisconsin a little bit, and I think it's going to be really intriguing is that they do have a game in a couple of days that is going to be a big one against Indiana. They're going to be playing at home. And when it comes to the Big Ten, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, the fact that you've just got a whole cluster of teams after mm-hmm. Purdue that are going to be trying to fortify themselves. And these are two of them, Indiana and Wisconsin, doing it in a little bit of a different way because with Wisconsin, obviously you've got Johnny Davis, and then you've got Brian Davison. Both of these guys have been rock solid. Meanwhile, Indiana – They're looking to a potential All-American forward in Trace Jackson Davis, who's been able to do a tremendous job this season, 21 points, 8.5 rebounds. But I think that this is going to be truly a strength versus weakness sort of game, because I do think that if the Badgers have a weakness, it is a little bit more down low. Meanwhile, with Indiana, I feel like they might get a little bit dominated in the backcourt as well, so I think that this is going to be a very fascinating game.
5: Yeah, and it's really a treat getting this Big Ten matchup here so early on in the season. You look at what Indiana's done, they've put together a few nice wins, except for that uh, close loss to Syracuse that went to double overtime. And so, it's a good matchup. The Badgers, they play well at the Cole Center on their home court. You kind of give them the advantage early on but the Badgers too have a game on the road after that against Ohio State which will be a tough matchup so a couple of big conference games early for the Wisconsin Badgers but I do like their chances as they continue to put together a couple of wins here to start out.
0: I agree with you I think that this is going to be a really good one and in general when we take a look at the Big Ten who has been some of the biggest surprises slash disappointments because obviously we're talking about the Wisconsin Badgers being able to stand out I think that we both agree on Iowa but when it comes to some of the other teams in the conference, I just don't know what to really make out of Michigan right now because yeah. they wound up having that nice win against San Diego State. On Tuesday, they're going to be hitting the road face off against Nebraska. They should be able to pull that one off, but it's a Michigan team that I think that they might wind up having a little bit more trouble than they wound up bargaining for and. I think that's just a little bit of a mismatch to our team because now you're seeing Hunter Dickinson try to shoot threes, which that'll give them a little bit of a new layer. But you almost wonder if that added versatility is going to be a little bit of a subtraction by addition as well because it takes away from what he winds up having as his bread and butter. And that's just doing a great job down low.
5: Yeah, Dickinson's a fun player for me to watch. He's one of my favorites in the conference. He put together a nice game in his most recent performance at 23.14 boards as they top San Diego State. But uh, they've got an opportunity. The losses you look at, they lost at home to Arizona. Arizona, a decent team. On the road to UNC is what they kind of got uh, blown out in that game. But they're about the middle of the road. I think they are what their record shows right now at 5-3 and three, as it stands with a couple of opportunities here before New Year's to get a little bit of an edge in the conference, taking on Nebraska on the road and then getting Minnesota at home. So they could get off to a nice start in the Big Ten and we'll see if they're able to build off of that.
0: I agree with you. I do think that you're going to have yourself a very interesting ordeal with Michigan. I think that they're going to be able to figure it out. The question is how far from what their preseason projection mm-hmm. was are they going to be when it's all said and done, as we do have Tony Baddock joining me on the podcast. And Tony, when it comes to just the hierarchy of college basketball, because we've talked quite a bit with regards to the Big Ten, are there any other teams that have really stood out to you, whether that be the good or the bad, because we certainly have seen quite a few upsets this year, but has there there been anything that has truly been catching your eye?
5: I think honestly looking at the ACC, the fall off of Virginia that we've seen, that's one thing uh, just as what we've come to know from that Cavalier team and Coach Bennett and what they're able to do. So it's been, I mean, you did lose a few players, but uh, just seeing them kind of a little bit slow out of the gates. Otherwise, you've got Baylor looking very nice. Uh, Gonzaga is about what you expect. It's interesting now that you can consider Gonzaga being a blue blood, being one of these top Top premier programs. Being one of these top programs now, you've kind of got the bullseye on their back. I thought that matchup with Duke was a very fun game, very exciting, and one you hope to see that you might get again come the tournament in the Final Four or in uh, the bracket somewhere down the line. Overall, it's been a fun start. A lot of upsets, but this is what college basketball is all about. It's good to see crowds back, uh, true road games, tough environments. It's just uh, what you love about college hoops, and I'm excited for this year.
0: And you talk about the mid-majors as well. It just came to me that I know that you've had a little bit of coverage with regards to UW- Milwaukee Mm -hmm. as well. What do you make out of what we've seen out of them this year? Because you saw Pat Baldwin Jr. wind up returning to the fold over the weekend. They were able to get a nice win. I believe that that game was against Youngstown State. And I feel like he's really going to be an X factor for UW-Milwaukee because when it comes to this UW-Milwaukee bunch without him, they just look rudderless. And quite honestly, Pat Baldwin, the actual coach, (laughs) <laughs> it's not necessarily doing the world's greatest job of coaching right now. I'm going to throw that out there, but I think that's going to be fascinating to see what UW Milwaukee does because they've got a star player, a top ten recruit, but the guys around him and the coaching in general just isn't necessarily great. We always have the question that winds up being posed as to, oh, what would happen if like LeBron James would be on the worst team in all of college <laughs> basketball? And it's not quite to this extreme, but it is a case of which you've got a very, very talented player on what would be without him probably. I would say a bottom 50 team in all of college basketball.
5: Yeah, and that's safe to say. I mean, when he made his commitment using UWM over the likes of Duke, I mean, that it sent a buzz throughout the entire city of Milwaukee. So obviously with that comes high expectations. And so far, it's been tough to live up to those. But coming off of a very nice performance, going back to Pat Baldwin Jr., shot six of six from beyond the arc. That's the kind of performance that he's going to need in order to try to put this team on his back. 26 points, so probably one of his best showings that he's had so far on the young season. But you're right, the rest of the team's not quite up to that level. I don't think, this program's ever had this kind of a spotlight on them before so with that spotlight comes high expectations and a little bit of a disappointment getting out of the gates here to start off the season obviously you're a little bit behind the eight ball playing out of conference in these more I guess power five teams that you get a chance to like on the road in Gainesville against Florida got a matchup with Colorado coming up but and I think in the horizon they should be okay if Baldwin kind of gets that adjustment but as he goes the team will definitely go so any kind of struggles from Pat Baldwin Jr. you expect the rest of the team to struggle as well but I'll be curious if they can find to roll, maybe sneak in get that bid from the Horizon League and see what happens come March and it's been a fun team though so far getting this kind of exposure on the UWM program
0: where is Bruce Pearl when you need him Milwaukee but when we need him he's always here and Tony Beddock on this podcast you do a great job out there in the great state of Wisconsin, covering a little bit of everything. So, let the good people at home know they're able to find you on social media and just everything that you got going on in general.
5: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at tbettack10, b e t t a c k one zero. I'll keep you informed. Like I said, I'm going to the UCLA Marquette game coming up on next weekend, so that should be a fun one and get a chance to see a couple of top programs battling it out. Big opportunity for Marquette, so we'll hold it down out here in the Badger State while you do your thing in Vegas, Greg.
0: Absolutely, going to be absolutely tremendous and. We wound up actually seeing Marquette go to the West Coast last year. So you've got a little bit of a return trip mm-hmm. there. And returning to this podcast is Tony Beddock, as he does a terrific job out there in the great of state of Wisconsin. And join me here today. So big thanks to him. Now it is that time. The podcast coming up next. They give you sign turtle on every game on the College Basketball betting board for this Tuesday as we hit some bank shots.
4: And
0: we're back here in Las Vegas, for Ghost Coast with myself, Craig Peterson. Great to get on, Tony Beddock does a great job covering all things out there in the great state of Wisconsin a man that is also well tied in to the Duke program as well. So, big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time the podcast to give you a side and total on every game on the college basketball betting board for this Tuesday as we hit some bank shots.
1: Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. <laughs>
0: Do note that, as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at GRS41. We are going to be going in Las Vegas' rotation, or this is where we go the games with... Three digits first and then the games with six digits after that. Reason why I do this is because, for one, a lot of sites actually do go in Las Vegas rotation order and when you wind up going to Las Vegas, instead of saying, oh, I want the under in Belmont versus St. Louis, for example, you'd say, I want the under in game 619-620, which is their rotation number. So that's why I wind up doing it this way and we are going to be starting with that first game of 601, 602 on the betting board. You've got Virginia, and they're going to be hitting the road to face off against James Madison. James Madison is finding themselves as a five-point underdog with your total on this game 123 and a half. When it comes to Virginia, I certainly do have my question marks when it comes to the team, which is why I only made them a three and a half point favorite. Armon Franklin has been shooting about 22% from three-point range, which is just not what you expect. And this is a Virginia team that they still play at the slowest tempo in all of college basketball, but at the same time, the defense is just not there. You do have Jane Gardner giving you between 14 points and 8 boards but for James Madison, you've got tons of versatility when it comes to the team and then you've got 7 different guys giving you between 8.1 and 11.3 points per game. Truly a hole is greater than the sum of its parts sort of team with the DeKalm Olsen being that Swiss Army knife 11.5 points, 6 boards, 2.5 assists 1.5 steals per game. Now, this is a James Madison team that they shoot right around 31.7% per 3. Virginia is in that neighborhood as well, but with James Madison they also get right around half steals per game which has allowed them to be able to speed up games now Virginia, they've done a good job of being able to take care of the ball, right around ten turnovers per game. Armon Franklin has done a good job of not turning it over. Kia Clark, four point two assists to two and a half turnovers per game. Reese Speakman, four and a half assists to one point two turnovers per game, so that's been solid. But are you going to be able to get out of someone like a Caden Shadrick, who's been able to give you seven points, five and a half rebounds, have my question marks there? Meanwhile, Alonzo Sewell, along with Molson have both been able to give you between six and six half rebounds per game. I do think that you're going to have a good performance out of Charles Falden as well, someone who's six foot three has been able to give this team ten and points, shooting 44% for three. I don't know if James Madison is going to be a pull off the outright win, but I did wind up setting them as a underdog of three and a half points, so getting them as a 5.0 point underdog, it does appeal to me with James Madison. I think that they kick things a little bit more up-tempo. I think that you wind up getting late-game following as well, so also set the total at a one twenty seven half. so going over and taking the points with the Dukes as we move on to 6.03, 6.04 on the betting board. Oakland, it's going to be in the red face off against Bowling Green. Bowling Green finds themselves as a one-point underdog with your 149 and a half. Certainly a spot in which I'm gonna be taking a look at Oakland. I'm willing to lay up to three with them because with the Grizzlies, you do have Jamal Kane, and he is very able to carry this team. 21 and a half points, an and a half board shooting, 85% the free throw line. Now you've got a pair of guys in Daquan Plowden along Joe Reese were able to do a nice job down low. These guys are combining, but for about 14 and a half rebounds, Plowden, 15 points per game. A solid three point shooter at 6'6. Six six. Meanwhile, Reese, 10 and a half points per game. Not necessarily going to space the floor as much, but able to do a good job there. What is really missing with Bowling Green, that main facilitator Justin Turner down for what from last year was that they've been without Caleb Fields for the beginning part of the season along Keith and Menethy. He wanted missing the first couple of games of the season so they've been relying upon guys like Myron Gordon who's been able to give the team 10 points. He's been able to shoot 37% per three but only about 2.5 assists per game out of feet along with Samari Curtis. Curtis shooting 40% per three with 7 points per game but you do have a bunch in Oakland that has done a good job of being able to shut down the arc in Oakland. Playing at a much slower tempo than they have in the past as well. They have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Zion Young, but he has returned to the fold for this team. He's shooting 44% from three-point range, double digits in two out of his last three games. You've also got Trey Townsend, who's able to give the team 14 points, six half boards. So, I take a look at this Oakland team. They've been successful despite shooting only 25.5% from three because they are efficient with regards to their twos. They're shooting 77.5% the free throw line. I think that they're going to struggle once again from three, but I think that they're going to do a good job. on am glad Win this game because Jalen Moore is a good facilitator as well. He has been turning the ball over right around five times per game, but he has cut down on those in recent games. At zero in the team's last performance against IUPUI, led all of college basketball and assists per game last season as well. So said Oakland is a three-point favorite. Made this total 142, so diving under and laying up to three with the Grizzlies. 605, 606 on the bagging board. You don't just get William, you don't just get Mary, but you also get five and a half points if you back them against Old Dominion. Old Dominion, a five and a half point road favorite total on this game is 125 and a half, made Old Dominion a seven-point favorite. William & Mary, one of the few teams in college basketball that is yet to be able to cover a spread this season. It has certainly been a brutal year for them, and I don't think that it's going to be getting any better. With William & Mary, this is not a team that does a great job of being able to take care of the ball, but you do have on the other side for Old Dominion, a guy in KJ Kaiser, who has been able to do a nice job out there in the backcourt. 13 and a half points. He's shooting 38 and a half percent from three, 92 and a half percent the free throw line. Now, Old Dominion, not a team that shoots it well from three, 29 and a half percent three-point shooting. Team one of the slower teams in college basketball. They do generate right around 7 steals per game. You've got Mekhi Long along with Jalen Hunter. These guys are combining for about 3.5 steals per game. They are able to chip in their 18 points, 10.5 boards so they've been able to do a nice job. Hunter also 4 assists per game. If you're able to get something out of Austin Trice along with A.J. Oliver guys that have been double figure scores in the past, haven't necessarily been able to do that this year. This team is going to be in good shape. And then for William & Mary. I mean turnovers on a per possession basis. They're in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball. 17 and a half per game. They do have a pair of guys at the top that are shooting north of 40% from three-point range in Connor kachera along with Quinn Blair. Both of these guys have been able to give you a combined about 33 points per game, but with Quinn Blair he's been a little bit banged up as well so you don't know if he's even going to be able to go in this game, let alone be able to give this team the effort that you typically would expect out of him as he missed both the Navy and the Davidson game, so that's not good. Yuri Covington has been a walking turnover. He's been relegated to the bench a little bit more with six and a half points per game. It's just a bad situation all around for the seen Ben White, 11.6 rebounds per game, but no faith in the tag team of William and Mary. Seems like the duo needs a little bit more support. I wound up taking Old Dominion in the spot. Willing to lay up to 7 with them. And with this total, I wound up setting my total at a 129. I do think that you could wind up seeing some late game following neither of these teams. Too stellar at the free throw line, but I just think that the lack of defense with William and Mary is going to be able to push this total over. So, going over and willing to lay up to 7 here with Old Dominion. 607, 7 on the begging board. Nebraska is going to be playing us at Michigan. Michigan is a 7.5 and your talent's game is 140 and a half. May Michigan a six-and-a-half point favorite, so here at the touchdown with the extra point, I am willing to take a shot here on Nebraska. When it comes to Cornhuskers, what I do like for this team is Alonzo Verge. I know that a lot of people are sour on Alonzo Verge, but he's been pretty efficient. Assist to turnover ratio darn near to a guy that's able to give you double figures. Not a guy that's necessarily going to shoot a great from three-point range as Nebraska as a collective. They have been one of the lesser teams when it comes to three-point shooting, but Nebraska with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, one of the better teams out there in college basketball. They're turning the ball over half times per game, but also keep in mind, that includes a four-overtime game along the way as well. And then you've got a Michigan team that they're turning the ball over 14.5 times per game. Now, Hunter Dickinson, points, and a half points, 8.5 boards buried, a trio of threes in that game against San Diego State. He looked relatively solid there, but you've also got, on the other side, 10 points and six boards out of Derek Walker starting to come along for the Nebraska team. I think that Kobe Webster could be able to drain a couple threes. He's shooting 40% for three-point range. When it comes to Michigan, you've got Musa Diabate. I like what he was able to show in that game against UNC in that game along the Tarleton State game. Wound up having double figures in both of them. Caleb Houston, he looked better in that San Diego State game. A guy that was able to chip in their 17 points in that one, but has been very hit or miss as a freshman. Shooting 35% for three as a six. But a combo player, and then if you got Mr. Do-It-All and Devontae Jones. He's trying to fill in for Mike Smith and what he was able to provide last year. He's been able to give the team six and a half points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists per game, so it's been solid there, but this is also a Michigan team that is shooting 67% at the free throw line. When you wind up getting into spreads like this, that is very suspect. Nebraska, meanwhile, they shoot more like 72-ish percent at the free throw line, so I think that that's going to play a little bit of a factor. I do think that you wind up getting late game following, so they wind up setting this total at a 144.5, so I'm willing to take a shot here on the over, and when it comes comes to the spot. I'm willing to take a touchdown with Nebraska. So taking the points and the over. 609, 610 on the bang board. Toledo is going to be playing us to Bradley. The Braves of Bradley are finding themselves as a 5.5 point underdog and your total on this game is 144.5. It seems like a really high total for a Bradley game because you take a look at the Braves and this is a bunch of which is playing at one of the slower pieces in all of college basketball. Terry Roberts has really been the heart and soul of this backcourt. He's been able to give the team 4 assists. He's been able to chip in their 14 points per game. You've had a couple injuries along the way when it comes to Team as well, so that has certainly hurt them. Renick Mass is able to give you eight and a half points, nine boards per game. Shot right around thirty-seven percent from three last year. This year, he's shooting sub thirty percent. Meanwhile, for t- Toledo, you've got a pair of guys that stand right around six foot six, six foot seven that do a great job with their versatility. Cedric Milner Jr., J.T. Schulmate, a combined twenty-eight points, fourteen boards, three and a half assists. Both guys combined to shoot about forty-three percent from three-point range. Ray J. Dennis has turned the ball over right around three times per game coming in from Boise State, but twelve points, right around four assists. This has been a Toledo. A bunch of hasn't had a lot of depth, but Keyshawn Sanders coming back is big. He has been able to give the team 7 points per game in his two games back last year, shot 37% for 3, 7 points per game, so that gives this team another option to be able to help out Ryan Rollins, who has been rolling along 20 points, 5 boards, 3.5 assists, so that has been terrific for a Toledo team that they, as a collective, shoot 76% free to the line. You've got a Bradley team that is turning the ball over 15 times per game. They shoot 61.5% at the line. That is certainly something that hurts them a little bit. They have been able to get right around 10 points, 5.5 boards out of Malivi Leons, who has come in from the Netherlands. He's looked relatively solid, but I do take a look at this, and I think that the Toledo backcourt is better. I think that they're going to be able to do a good job with their versatility. Set Toledo as 11.5 point favorite, and in this spot, set the total at 130.5. So, going way under, and I'm going to be taking Toledo, laying the points. 611, 612 on the bang board. Northeastern is going to be playing OCU Mass. The Minutemen hope to be able to last more than a good minute, as they are 2.5 point underdogs with your total on this game, 141.5. We certainly have seen the best and the worst of UMass this year. This is a bunch of which they wound up getting clobbered when they wound up playing Yale by 20 points this year. They also have a 25-point win against Penn State as well, so it all makes sense. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of UMass, and they've been one of the more up-tempo teams in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, Northeastern, they're one of the slowest teams in all of college basketball. When it comes to this UMass, bunch of Noah Fernandez has been able to do a nice job running the point guard spot, 16.5 points, right around 5 assists, shooting 38.5% for 3-point range, and Rich Kelly is able give him some good support as well. When it comes to Rich Kelly, 11 and a half points per game, and then CJ Kelly. I don't know if they're related or not. 14.5 points per game as well. Both of these guys are combating to shoot about 50% for three-point range with Rich right around four assists per game, but the UMass Minutemen have done a great job of being able to give up the arc. Northeastern has been shooting as collective, only about 30% for three. Nikolai DiJogo has been one of your top three-point shooters. He's been out the fold recently for the scene, but Chris Doherty, the transfer from Notre Dame, is going to be the best old post player in this game. 12 points, 10 boards per game. You take a look at which you're able to get out of UMass and you really don't have a guy that's giving you more than five boards per game and TJ Weeks, a guy that actually wound up shooting 48% from three-point range as a freshman ever since then, more like 30%. Trent Budrick has been able to give you right around five and a half boards. He's able to give you a little bit of versatility but I think that he's going to be able to win the battle down low to is and then you've got a pair of guys combining for 26 points per game. Jalen Telford along Shaquille Walters. Walters is someone that is shooting 43% from three-point range. Turnovers are always a little bit of an issue with Northeastern. 14 per game with their slow tempo is not good, but I think that they're going to be able to win the battle on the glass. I think that they're going to be able to get their tempo, which is why I wound up saying Northeastern as a four-point favorite, so willing to lay it here. Let's set this total at on 134.5 as well. You've got a Northeastern team that can be a little bit shaky at the end of games. They've given up quite a few leads, but they should have a collective about 71% of the free-throw line, so I do think that they'll be able to get it done, so going under and laying it here with Northeastern. 613-614 on the bang board. We head to Madison Square Garden as Tennessee is going to be taking on Texas Tech. Texas Tech finds themselves a two-and-a-half point underdog with your total on this game, 139 I flipped it. I made Texas Tech a two-point favorite, so I'm willing to take the Red Raiders on the money line. When it comes to Texas Tech, I really like what I've seen out of the offense of this team. In terms of points scored on a per possession basis, they are in the top 15 in all of college basketball. Now, Tennessee is out on defense, and you've got to give it up to Kennedy Chandler. Freshman for this team has been superb. 16 points, four and a half assists, shooting 42% for three Santiago Viscovi, also shooting 39% from distance at Justin Boom Boom Powell. How about him being able to shoot 46% for three with Viscovi right around 15 points, three assists, five boards, and then Powell, more like 9.5 points per game. John Fulkerson has been able to do a good job down low with Oliver Kamua. He has been able to both give you right around 6.5 rebounds per game, so they've been able to do a nice job there. And Fulkerson nearly 3 assists per game, so a little bit of versatility, but when it comes to Texas Tech, got a lot of versatile big men like Bryson Williams and Kevin O'Banner, a pair of guys that are currently combining for right in the neighborhood of about 23.5 points per game with O'Banner. 4.5 points per game, more like 5.5 for Williams. Williams is shooting 33% for 3, but O'Banner, 44% from distance 83.5% at the free throw line. Adamus Arms has been able to come in, give this team 7 points, shoots 42% per 3 as a collective. Texas Tech is shooting 37.5% from per distance. And ever since Terrence Shannon has come back, he has been terrific. 16.5 points per game. Could use a little bit more facilitation. Nobody on this team giving out more than 2.5 assists per game. But I do think that this is a Texas Tech team that is going to be able to do a relatively solid job down low. I think that you're going to see both of these teams that at their core are defense-oriented, play a little bit more defense, and this game is an MS. SG, so it is a neutral court. So I wind up shaking my number down a little bit for that. Set this total at 138. So you're at the 139, gonna be diving under, but I think the Texas Tech should be able to win this game outright, taking them on the money line. 615, 616 on the banking board. You got Missouri. They're gonna be playing us at Eastern Illinois. Eastern Illinois is an 18 and a half point underdog with your total on this game 129. I set this at a 130 and a half with the total. So gonna be going over. You got a Missouri team that they play a little bit slower, but they're not snails pace slow, and this is just not the same Missouri defense that we have. Seen in the past. Now, Eastern Illinois, they really only bring back two guys, and neither guy is necessarily doing a whole heck of a lot for this team, as you've got Kashawn Charles along with Sammy Friday the 4th giving you a combined about 21.5 points per game with Charles one well, missing a couple games this year. He's been able to come back and he's been able to give the team double figures in each of the last four games. So that is good for the team with Friday the 4th, right around nine points, five boards. So you've been able to get a little bit of something there. The big thing for Eastern Illinois, 17 turnovers per game. They're playing against the Missouri bunch that they get right around seven steals per game. And that's not too bad of a rate. Now with Missouri, they themselves turn the ball over 14.5 times per game. They're shooting as a collective 26% per three. I do like what you're able to get out of Kobe Brown. He's going to be the best player out there on the floor. To be able to give this team 15 points, 9.5 boards, 3 assists, a seal and a half, and a block per game. So he's doing it all for Missouri need other guys to be able to step up. You've been able to get right around 9.5 points per game out of Ronnie DeGray. He's been able to chip in their 7 boards. And then Amari Davis, who comes in from UW-Green Bay, seeded up a little bit recently. eleven half points per game, but I really can't trust Missouri to be able to cover a number like this just because they have been very hit or miss when it comes to their offense. So, Eastern Illinois, they themselves, against C1 competition have scored 62 points for fear in each out of their last 4 games. So, it's a good old something's got to give scenario. I think that a pair of teams that, let's call it what it is, have been very bad. They're going to be able to arrive a little bit in this spot, and I do think that for Eastern Illinois, being able to get back Charles is very big for them, and I do think that you're going to get something out of Rodolfo Rufin Bolis, who has been able to give the team 7 points, 5 boards. He's been able to emerge recently at double figures in the last game, so I take a look at this spot. I'm going to be willing to take Eastern Illinois with the 18 and a half. That's the line at 18 personally, and made the total 130 and a half, so we're going to be going over as well. New York Post play of the day is up. We've got 617, 618 on the betting board. Temple is going to be in the road to face off against Vanderbilt. Commodores are an 8 and a half point favorite, and your total game is 135. New York Post play is actually going to be the total. I'm going to be diving under in this spot. A big reason why, Khalif Battle. He is now up for the season for Temple. Now, in the first game without Khalif Battle, Temple was able to erupt against Penn, but that's a Penn team that they've got some work to do defensively, but for battle, he was shooting 49% for three, half points per game. Now with Temple, you don't have a single guy that is giving you more than 13 points per game. That would be and Dunn. I do think that he'll be able to get her done. You've also had Ty Strickland be able to chip in there right around 9 points per game. But Ty Strickland has been dealing with injuries as well. He's missed each other the last two games. So now you're really looking at this backcourt and it is bludgeon. Heiser Miller has been able to give you right in the neighborhood about 3.5 points per game. You've got Jaleel White, a guy that has yet to make a 3 this year. So And it's not good to say the least. Jake Forrester, 7 points 4.5 points as a big man. Meanwhile for Vanderbilt, they've been a little bit off with their 3 point shooting as well. But they rank at the top 10 nationally with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. You've got a trio of guys. there's Shooting at least 38% from three-point range, as you've got Scottie Pippen Jr., Miles Tute, and then you're able to throw in there Jordan right, right? Has been Mr. Right for the team. 14 and a half points, six and a half boards per game. All three of these guys are combined to be able to give you right around four steals per game as well. So that has been solid. Now, after that, Vanderbilt doesn't have much of anything. You've got only four guys that are giving you more than 4.9 points per game. You're gonna need someone like Gardner Webb transfer, Jermaine Mann, to be able to step up. But this is a Vanderbilt team that they have been able to do a nice job defensively. They do a good job of being able get to the free throw line. So I take a look at this spot. I think that you're going to get a low scoring game. Temple doesn't have a lot down low. Nick Jordan on only five rebounds per game. as their top rebounder. So I think that Vanderbilt's going to be able to win that battle. And as a result, I think that Vanderbilt wins this game by double figures, set them as a 10 and a half point favorites so and willing to lay the points. But New York post play of the day is going to be the total set it at a 127 half. So we're going to be diving under 619, 620 on the main board. Belmont hits the road face off against St. Louis. St. Louis is a two and a half point favorite with your total on this game 149. When it comes to the Billikens, certainly has been an interesting team this year. I set them as a two point favorite. So here at two and a half, I'd be willing to take the points with Belmont. Hopefully we can get a little bit of a three pop as well. So that way we're able to land on a three, but certainly we'll be willing to take that two and a half just because when it comes to the St. Louis team, they have been able to play some relatively solid basketball. Even without Javante Perkins out there, you've got Gibson and Jimmerson. He's been able to give the team 16 points per game. You take a look at St. Louis and they are much improved with regards to their free throw shooting. 76.5% free throw shooting team, 39%. From three-point range, down low, you do have Mr. Okoto, Francis Okoto, who's been able to give the team 8.7 points, seven half boards per game, and then you've been able to get a whole lot of something out of UNC Wilmington transfer Martin Listen. He's been able to get the team eleven half points, four and a half boards. Shoots right around eighty-two percent the free throw line. But take a look at Belmont Nick Mazurzinski, who just couldn't hit threes to save his life last season. He was able to drain one against Sanford. I think that that's going to help him out a little bit. He's been able to give the team 17 and a half points, three assists, six and a half boards, two blocks per game. Grayson Murphy does it all for the team: eight points, six boards, five assists, two steals. Now Yuri Collins does the same for Saint. Louis. 9 points, 7 assists. Guy that doesn't shoot it well from 3, but also 86% at the free throw line. But I do take a look at Belmont, and I do think that you're going to be able to get Jacoby. one online, a guy that averaged double figures last year. Only right around 5.5 points per game this season. Has been able to shoot 37% for 3. Belmont has collective shoot 35% for 3. 75.5% at the free throw line. They have played a lot of good competition, so I do think that they're going to be up for this game. I think that you wind up getting late game following. Both of these teams terrific at the free throw line, so did wind up setting this total at 152 St. Louis playing much more up-tempo than they have in past years as well. So I take a look at this spot, willing to take it two and a half or higher with Belmont. So I'm going to be looking there. And when it comes to the total, set it at a 152. So going over as well, 621, 622 on the bagging board. Kansas is going to be playing us to UTEP. UTEP is finding themselves as a 20 and a half point underdog with your total on this game, 144. When it comes to Kansas, set them as a 23 and a half point favorite. When it comes to Kansas, certainly a bunch of which they were able to get things very much online and they looked very good in that game against St. John's. You take a look at Kansas and they have yet to play any of their games to the under this season. Meanwhile, for UTEP, it has been a little bit of a transition under Joe Golding. You do have Jamal Bianimi who's been able to give you 16 points per game. He's able to chip in there. Three, it says, shooting 37% from three-point range. When it comes to UTEP, they do wind up having a few players to begin the year out due to health and safety protocols. You've got Sully Boehm, who's back in that first game off of health and safety protocols against New Mexico State. 19 points. He's averaging overall for the year right around 20 points per contest, so that is going to be very beneficial. You've also got Christian Agnew as well. He wound up turning in that game against the Mexico State only provided 9 minutes, so I don't think that he's going to be too much of a factor in this game. You've got Keontae Kennedy right around 9.6.5 boards. Not a great 3-point shooter, but is able to do a little bit of something down low, but David McCormick all of a sudden has been able to find it for this team. A guy that's only averaging 9.6 boards per game this season, but in that game against St. John's. Double-double. 15 points, 13 boards. Seems like he's out of his slump. O'Shea Obaji is looking like an All-American. 22.5 points per game. Shooting 44% per three. Christian Braun does it all at six 6'6". 16 points. 7.5 for boards Three assists. 1.5 Seals. Shoots 37% per three. Remy Martin. He's going to get you buzzed up with his three assists. 12 points. 43% three-point shooting. List goes on and on for Kansas. Kansas has great depth. Jalen Wilson is starting to pull in rebounds for the team. Right around 5.5 per contest. I think that UTEP is going to get bludgeoned on the glass. I think that Kansas is going to be able to score with ease in this game. So that Kansas as a 23.5 point favorite. I also made this total 142.5. You've got a UTEP team that they are playing a little bit of a new style under Joe Golding. They're trying to play a little bit more of that amoeba style defense that you wind up having success with at Abilene Christian. So I take a look at this spot. I do think you wind up getting your first Kansas under of the season because David McCormick is doing a better job down low. So diving under, but one to lay up to 23.5 here with Kansas delaying laying the points. 623, 624. It's a Kansas canceled game between Nevada and UT Arlington. No money to be made, so we move on. 625-626 on the bagging board. Northern Colorado is going to be playing also South Dakota. South Dakota is finding themselves as an 8-point underdog with your total of 143. South Dakota is just not good on offense right now. I'm just going to call what it is. Without AJ Please with they're just not a very good team. Cruz Petio. Hunt has been able to give this team 14.5 points per game, so he's been able to contribute with right around 2.5 assists per game as well, but you don't have a lot out there in the backcourt. Hunter Goodrich, I think that he's going to be taken to task by Kurt Junkic. Junkic junkage for this Northern Colorado team. 10 boards per game. Goodrick is able to give you right around 8-ish rebounds per game when it comes to South Dakota as well. You've had Xavier Fuller be able to chip in there 10.5 points per game but he's been dealing with a few ailments himself so that has been a little bit of an issue in the last two games that he wound up playing a combined 10 points so you have your issues there. When it comes to South Dakota, they do shoot as a collective about 35% from 3 point range but they've been much more comfortable at home than they have been on the road. And then you take a look at Northern Colorado. They shoot 37% from distance. You really only have 6 main or pieces, but True Cookshausen is one of them. He'd let all of college basketball made threes during the 2019-20 season. That'd be ahead of Marcus Howard, who was playing at Marquette at the time. you would be able to get right around 11.5 points per game out of Matt Johnson. He's been solid, shooting 37% from three-point range. You've also got North Colorado shooting about 73% at the free-throw line, so that has been good for the team. And Bodie Hume, after he wound up having a little bit of a rough start to the year, he's been able to pick it up as well. He's been able to give the team 16-plus points in two out of the last three games. The guy that last year had 16 points, 7 a block and a steal per game, so that is critical for the seaman down counts. still giving you 18 and a half points per game. So I did wind up making Northern Colorado double-digit favorite set them at 12 and a half. Made this total 135 as well. So it's a case in which I'm going to be diving under because you do have a South Dakota team that is not very efficient when it comes to their offense on the road, and a Northern Colorado team that does a good job of being able to cut off the three-point arc. So going to be diving under and laid it here with Northern Colorado 627, 628 on the banking board. College of Charleston, it's the road to face off against Tulane. The Green Wave find themselves as a four-point favorite. But with your total on this game, 152. I wound up setting two lane as a four point favorite as well. So we're going to look for a little bit of movement. It looks like the opener was two lane, laying two and a half points. So if we wind up getting back down to. Below a four, I'd be willing to take a shot here on two lane if we wind up getting north of four. Then I'm certainly going to be taking a look at Charleston. Charleston with regards to possessions on a per game basis. They're currently number one in all of college basketball. They have been playing with their hair on fire. Pat Kelsey has come in and he has really sparked something with this Charleston team. What I like about them is Renee Smith along John Meeks. These two guys have been very versatile and they are combining for 30 points per game. Meeks right around five boards, two and a half assists, CLAM per game. Both of these guys combined to shoot about 46 ampers. Separate three-point range and 85% at the free-throw line. You've been able to get 8.5 points, right around 6.5 boards, 3.5 assists per game under Demetrius Underwood as well. Good Swiss Army Knife guy, Charleston, shooting 37% from three as a collective. And if this game sounds familiar, that's because these two teams wound up playing about a week or so ago, so... That is something that you're able to take a look at. Charleston wound up winning that game 81 to 77 on their home floor as Charleston in that game won 12 of 25 from three-point range. I think that there's going to be regression there, but Tulane, they also went 6 of 14 from three, so I think that you get a little bit of regression there, but I do think that it is going to be a relatively up-tempo game in that game. Tulane had 19 turnovers. He wound up having 16 for Charleston as well. I think that both of these teams are going to be able to rein it in a little bit more. And then you've got the Jalens when it comes to Tulane, as you've got Jalen Forbes who's able to give you 16 and a half points, five boards shooting 37.5% from three, and then you've been able to get 19 points, over 40% three-point shooting. Out of Jalen Cook, the transfer from LSU, Kevin Cross Allen law has been able to give you 13.5 points, 5.5 points per game, so I do take a look at this spot. I do think that Tulane is going to be able to get revenge, I think that they get it to the tune of four points, the same amount that Charleston wound up winning by, and when it comes to this total, I did wind up setting it at a 156.5, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over with Tulane, willing to lay 3.5 or less with them. When it comes to Charleston, once we wind up getting north of four, going to be a take on them 629, 630 on the betting board. You've got yourself Duquesne in the red face off against DePaul. DePaul is finding themselves as an 8-point favorite with a total of 143. Central Paul is a 9-point favorite. Big reason why I like him in this spot, Javon Freeman-Liberty. I like that name and I like his production. 21 points, 8.5 boards, 4 assists, 2 steals per game. He has been absolutely superb for this team. Shooting 42% from 3-point range now. On the flip side, Kevin Easley. Who winds up coming in from Chattanooga and TCU. A guy that was an also-con rookie of the year performer a few years ago. Thirteen points, six half bars, able to shoot forty-seven percent from three as a six-foot-seven combo player that has been very good for the team. But behind him, you do have a team that, as a collective, shoots right around thirty-two and a half percent from three-point range. Nothing great, nothing terrible. Leon Ayers, the third, along with Amir Spears. These two guys are combined to be able to give you about twenty-six points per game. Ayers, right around five rebounds per game. Both of these guys have not shot well from three-point range. Trey Williams has been able to give the team seven rebounds per game, but you do take a look on the flip side for Depaul, and you've been able to get a whole level. Lot more out of a nice versatile player in David Jones, seventeen points, eight at boards, shooting thirty-seven half percent for three-point range, two steals per game. So that has been absolutely terrific. You've also been able to get eleven half points out of Nick Ogenda. He has been absolutely tremendous down low for the team as well. Brandon Johnson, the transfer from Minnesota, twelve points, seven half boards. You got Tepals collective only shooting about thirty-three percent for three, but seventy-two percent of the free throw line. They've done a good job of being able to cut down on the turnovers. They certainly are playing at a little bit more of a breakneck pace themselves. Duquesne, they're not fast. They're not slow. They're just somewhere in the middle, but I do like the fact that DePaul has brought in some guys. Jalen Terry's now getting some minutes. He's looking relatively solid, so I think that you've got a little bit more depth here. And I do think that DePaul is going to be able to crank up the tempo a little bit more in this game. Set the soda on 147, so we're going to be going over. Oh, DePaul, willing to lay up to nine with them, so going to be laying the points. 631, 632 on the banging board. Loyola Marymount. going to be in the road to face off against Tulsa. Tulsa's find themselves as a two and a half point favorite. Total on this game is 137. Half. Set Tulsa as a three point favorite. I've got these teams pretty much dead equal on a neutral court. So I'm willing to lay up to a three-year with Tulsa. When it comes to the Golden Hurricane, certainly has been an interesting year for this team as it has been, shall we say, a little bit of a winding road, but you could say that against Loyola Marymount as well. Marymount winds up taking that loss to begin the year against the Chattanooga Mocs, but they look solid in that win against SMU. The loss to Grand Canyon, very understandable, but what I think is going to be key for Tulsa is having Jariah Horn be the best player out there on the floor. He's been able to give the team 19 points, 7.5 boards, shooting 46% from three-point range as a six-foot-seven do-it-all guy. Now Joe Kitana is a good sharpshooter for the Mount. He's shooting 48.5% from three, 97% the free-throw line, 17.5 points per game, along with nearly two steals per game. But then you take a look at the flip side for Tulsa. This is a team in which you don't necessarily have, have a ton of great guard play, but they don't turn the ball over right around 11 turnovers per game. The guy that has really been able to emerge, UT Arlington transfer, Sam Griffin, 18.5 points per game. Doesn't do much other than shoot, but has been able to do a great job of doing so Ray Oduo has been able to give you right around eight points, five boards, so he's been relatively solid for this team. And then you've got a guy that doesn't score a lot but does a little things and Anthony Pritchard. Pritchard's been able to chip out right around two and a half assists per game, give you a steal. He's warranted right around 16 and a half minutes per contest. And as a matter of fact, 23 plus in each other team's last three games. He is starting to rise up for the Tulsa team as a good on ball defender. And then Eli Scott is able to stuff the satchel for Loyal Amerimo. Sixteen and a half points, six and a half boards, three assists. And then you've got Kelly Leu Pape. He's a six-foot-six combo player who's been able to chip in there darn near 9 points, 5.5 bores. Shoots in the mid-30s from 3-point range, so he's been relatively solid for the team, but was expecting a little bit more out of Wyoming transfer Kawan Marble. Only about 5 points, 3 bores after he shot 31% last season from 3-point range. Only about 14% this season, and for the mound... 15 and a half turnovers game. I think that that's going to be the death nail for them. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a slower game and a little bit of a sloppier game as a result of that as well. So this all at 131 and a half, so diving under and made Tulane a three-point favorite, so won't delay it here. 633, 634 on the bankboard. you got Charlotte. They're going to be in the road to face against Arkansas. Arkansas find themselves a 19 and a half point favorite with your total 145 and a half when it comes to Charlotte. It's a bunch of which has been able to do a good job of being able to slow down games, but the defensive efficiency doesn't seem to be quite there with them, but I do think that they're going to be able to Keep things relatively in line in this one. I wound up saying them as an 18 and a half point underdog because you do have a guy in Jameer Young that is able to do a great job of being an alpha dog for this team. 20 points, five and a half boards, four and a half assists, shooting 34% from three-point range with a CO per game now with Arkansas. JD Note has been just a walking bucket for this team. 18 points, four boards, four assists, three steals. And then you've got ODS Tony along Chris Likes contributing to be able to combine for about 26.5 points per game. Tony, right around 7 boards per game. And then you've got Mr. Versatile. That'd be Jalen Williams. 6 points, 9 boards, 4.5 assists. So he has done it all for this team. But you take a look at Charlotte as well. They're not going to be able to win the battle down low. They've got a little bit of a lack of size. And I was expecting more than 1 rebound per game out of Robert Brideswell, the combo player that comes over from Syracuse. But he's shooting 50% for 3. Charlotte, they shoot 79.5% the line. They only turn the ball over 11 times per game. This is an Arkansas team that they really do pride themselves on being able to generate turnovers, so a little bit of an interesting chess match here, but Arkansas a team that doesn't turn the ball over a lot themselves. They've shown that they can win games playing slow in the past. I think that they're going to be doing so once again. I do think that Charlotte is going to be able to slow down the tempo in this game, so they wind up saying the Soto 136 f and made Arkansas an 18 and a half point favorite as a result, so going to be diving under, and I'm going to be taking the points with Charlotte 635, 636 on the bang board. Oklahoma is going to be playing us a Butler. Butler is finding themselves an 11 point underdog in your total. game is 125 and a half. Butler has had a cataclysmically bad start to the season, but I do think that we went a little bit too far here. I want to say Oklahoma as a 10 and a half point favorite. So we'll want to take it 11 here with Butler. When it comes to the Bulldogs, they were missing quite a few pieces to begin the year. They have been able to get Aaron Thompson back to the fold. He is the main facilitator. For the team, just year in and year out, you know what you're going to be able to get out of him. Right around four assists, not necessarily a lot of scoring, but he's efficient in the shots that he takes. And Butler is actually shooting 37.5 percent from three-point range, so they've actually been able to do a relatively solid job there. The 15 turnovers per game that needs to be reined in a little bit, but I do think that Thompson being out there on the court is going to be able to help out the team. You've got Jair Bolden being able to give you 12.5 points per game, and then Jaden Taylor been able to chip in there 12 himself. You've got Bolden being able to shoot 46 percent from three. Chuck Harris has been a little bit banged up. He has been able to give the team eleven points per game, so I think that he's going to be a critical piece for the team. When you take a look down though, I do think that Ty goes along with Bryce Enzi. Both of these guys being able to give you right around four and a half to five boards per game is going to be critical because for Oklahoma, Tanner Groves is highly versatile. At six foot ten, comes in from Easter Washington, fifteen and a half points, six and a half boards, shooting forty-two percent from three. He is a hard guard. You've been able to have Jordan Goldwire having assist sister turnover ratio of two. Not necessarily a dominant score with right around nine and a half points per game, but a guy that does shoot. 91% the free to line, and when it comes to Oklahoma, they as a collective are shooting 72.5% at the line. They're generating 8.5 steals per game. You can tell that they sort of are taking on the... I guess you could call it mindset of Porter Mosier. I think that they are going to be slowing down as the season goes along, but they are still trying to work their way into that as well. Did wind up setting this total at a 124.5. So here at 125.5, I am going to be willing to go under the total because I do think that Oklahoma is going to be trying to implement that style a little bit more. And when it comes to Boulder, set them as a 10.5 point underdog, so willing to take an 11-year. 637, 638 on the betting board. Montana State is going to be playing us in North Dakota State. The Bison find themselves a 3.5 point underdog with your total on this game, 136.5. It comes to North Dakota State, wound up setting them as a 4.5 point underdog. I do like what I've seen out of Montana State so far this season with Montana State. They do a good job of being able to push a little bit of tempo without being necessarily out of control. You've got Xavier Bishop, who does a good job at the point guard spot. 11 and a half points, 4 assists, a guy that's able to shoot 42% from 3 point range. Out of the top 5 scores for Montana State, all of them shoot at least 35.5% from 3 point range. 4 of them shoot above 40% from 3 point range. You've been able to have a pair of guys down low, and Abdul Muhammad along to Brayabello be able to combine for nearly 28 points, a little bit over 15 rebounds per game, two seals. So they've been able to do a great job there. And then you've been able to get right around 10 and a half points per game out of Tyler Patterson as well. Then you take a look at the flip side for North Dakota State. Rocky Cruiser is someone that's saying six foot ten. He's been a solid three-point shooter, making forty-one percent of his outside shots, fifteen points, eight boards, and then you just need a little bit more of something out of the backcourt. As you've had Jarius Cook be able to give you right around nine and and a half points per game. He's shooting 38% for three. North Dakota State is collective. shoot shoots percent of the line, 33% for three. But the 13 turnovers per game for their tempo is not necessarily great. You've had Tyree edB be in and out of the fold a little bit. He's missed a game this year. Only six points, four and a half boards. So he's been a little bit down. You've also got Malik Harden-Hayes, who last year was able to give the team nine points, five boards. This year, more like six and a half points, four boards and shooting 26% for three. So I do think that the backcourt issues are there for North Dakota State. I do think that you wind up getting late game following in this game. And I do think the Montana State is going to be able to hit some threes against the North Dakota State perimeter defense that hasn't been great this year. So, set Montana State as a 4.5 point favorite, We'll in the late here. Set the total at 138.5, so going over as well, 639, 640 on the banking board. We head back to MSGS. You've got Syracuse and Villanova in a good old Big East matchup. Villanova's a 9.5 point favorite, and your total on this game is 145. I mean Villanova a 10.5 point favorite with Villanova. This is a team that is incredibly efficient with the ball. I do like Colin Gillespie at the point guard spot, a guy that thus far this year has a assist to turnover ratio right around 3 and he's has able to give the team 18 points per game along with 1.3 steals per game. A guy that is shooting 47% from distance now down low. You don't necessarily have a ton when it comes to Villanova. Eric Dixon has been able to give you 6 rebounds per game. I do like what you're able to get out of Mr. Moore as he's able to give you some more with 15.5 points 5.5 boards for Justin Moore. 3 assists shooting 40% from 3 point range depth is a little bit of an issue when it comes to Villanova but Caleb Daniels CBB stepping up a little bit. 9.5 points shooting 37% from 3. Villanova's a club shoot 79% of the line, 42.5% from three. I do think that Syracuse is starting to play a little bit of better defense. We wound up seeing that in the game against Florida State. Now, Florida State was just ice cold from three-point range as well. I think that they went like three of 32, but you've got Bayheim squared, Jimmy Bayheim, and Buddy Bayheim. These two guys giving you a combined 33.5 points per game. Jimmy's chipping in there, 6.5 boards per game, and shooting 44% from three-point range. Meanwhile, Buddy is been able to give out four assists per game. Joe Girard is been able to give you 15 points, 4.5 Assist and he's able to shoot 91% the line, 53% for three. Syracuse is a collective, shooting 37% for three. We know this with, the, with Villanova, though. One of these slower teams in regards to tempo and all of college basketball, Syracuse is not necessarily a gunner either. The reason why their totals have been so high is because teams have just buried three after three against them. I think that they're going to be a little bit more up for this game, so I take a look at this spot. I do think that you're going to get a little bit of a lower-scoring game. I wound up setting the total at a 142.5, so I'm willing to take an under in this spot, and when it comes to Villanova. will want to lay up to 10.5 with them. I think that they're going to be able to play even up on the glass even though Cole Swider is giving Syracuse right around 7 boards per game. So, I take a look at this spot and I am going to be taking a look at Villanova laying the points along with the under 641, 642 on the betting board. Cal Baptist is going to be playing us to North Dakota. North Dakotas find themselves as a 12.5 point underdog in your Thomas game is 144. Set this at 13 and half when it comes to Cal Baptist. Certainly a team that is able to bury their threes. And then you take a look at the flip side for North Dakota. It has been an almighty struggle for this team recently to hit threes. They had that game against Kansas State in which they wound up going something like three of 30 from three point range. Now you've got Caleb Nero. He's been able to do a nice job out there in the backcourt with 12 points, four boards, three assists. Now he's only shooting about 28 percent from three as a collective. North Dakota about 39 percent from three. Mitchell Sucker has been as a six foot nine combo player relatively solid, shooting 41 percent from three, 11 points four boards, but you don't have a lot down low. You've got seven points, five and a half boards out of Setone Sarkize. He winds up coming in from the country of Georgia, so he's been able to help the team out a little bit. And I do like what I'm seeing out of Paul Burns. You take a look at Burns recently, and he's been able to give the team 15 plus points in now three out of his last four games, but for Gal Baptist, you've got a guy in Reed Nottage who's able to give you 12 and a half points per game, shooting 37 and a half percent for three, Cal Baptist. It's actually not been very up-tempo. They've just been inefficient on defense, but solid with regards to being able to shoot the ball shoot about 34.5% from 3-point range. You've got a guy in Trey Armstrong who's been able to give this team 10.5 points per game. And then the other Armstrong in Taron Armstrong 12.5 points, 7.5 boards, 8 assists. He is darn near averaging a triple-double right now. It has been absolutely insane to see. And he already got a triple-double against San Jose State earlier this year as well. Daniel Aiken is going to be the best look post player in this game. Right around 12 points, 8 ports Also doubles out 2.5 assists per game. This is a Cal Baptist team that does a very good job of being able to make the extra pass. I think that they're going to be able to do so against a North Dakota defense. Uh, let's call it what it is. It's not necessarily great, but North Dakota is not necessarily great on offense either, so it's a spot in which I wound up setting North Dakota as a 13.5 point underdog, so willing to lay 12.5 here. Made this total 144, so willing to take the 144 under as I wound up setting my total at 143.5. Last game on the normal, last Vegas betting more before we hit the extra games at 643-644. Boise State hits the road to face off against Cal State Northridge. CSUN is finding themselves an 11.0 underdog with your total 122. I think we've went a little bit too low on these totals now. CSUN has not been good on offense to say. The least they are under the tutelage of an interim coaching regime after Mark Gottfried wound up getting placed on and air quotes here. Administrative leave, but you take a look at Poisey State and Abu Kiab. I think he's gonna be the best player out there on the floor. 13 points, seven half boards. Not a guy that really lets it fly from three-point range, but he's been able to do a good job of be able to help facilitate the offensive manual. ACOT has been able to help him out as well. 12 points. Shoots 44% from 3S. It's pretty much Pac-12 North. When it comes to Boise State with regards to all their transfers, Don Aver, Dutrieff, Wines coming in from Arizona. He's been able to give the team 9 points. He's a guy that has struggled with regards to his shooting. As Boise State as a collective, shooting 559 percent the free throw line, 30% from 3. I think that they're doing for a little bit of positive regression, and I think that and Armas is it's going to be able to win the battle down low. He's pulling in right around 8 parts per game. Christian Gray on the other side for the CSUN team. Right around 6 points, 7 boards. He winds coming in from Fresno State so he's got some experience with regards to playing against Boise State, but you take a look at Elijah Hardy, you're going to need a little bit more out of him if you're CSUN. Right around 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3 assists. Shoots 33% for 3 as a collective. You do have CSUN shooting 77% free the free throw line, but sub 40% from the field. They don't necessarily generate as many steals as they did last season and I'm just surprised that Darius Brown has been really relegated out of the offense. Highly efficient guy the last year. At 5.5 assists with 1.5 turnovers per game, shot 37% for 3 this year. 6.5 points and 2 assists per game. I think that that's a little bit of an issue. I think the Boise State just has more raw talent in this game. Set them as an a half point favorite. I think it's gonna be a low-scoring game, but I think that we've went a little bit too low here because I do think that Boise State is gonna be able to find a little bit of offense in this game. Set this out on at 126 half. So going over and laying the deal with Boise State. Now we move on to the extra games.
1: The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus.
0: We go in Los Vegas rotation order with these as well. This begins with 306-001-306-002. You've got Rose Rhode Island, and they're going to be playing us. the Sacred Art. Sacred Art is finding themselves a 15 and a half point underdog with your total 138. I set Rhode Island as is a 14 and a half point favorite. When it comes to Sacred art, I do think that they're going to be able to hang in there a little bit down low. Now you do take a look at this Rhode Island team, and they do have the Mitchell brothers, and you've got a pair that is doing an absolutely terrific job of being able to pound the boards as these two guys are combining for right around 12 rebounds per game, and you've been able to get darn near 3.8 blocks per game out of Makai Mitchell, so got to give them a lot of credit. And with Makai Mitchell, he's also Shooting 40% from three-point range, so that has been absolutely superb for the team. Rhode Island, as a collective, shoots 37% from three, but the 15 turnovers per game—that is certainly a little bit of an issue for the team. You take a look at what you've been able to get out of top scorer Jeremy Shepard: 11.5 points per game, three and a half assists, shooting 39% from three. But Sacred Heart is a team that they've got Tyler Thomas. He's able to start for the team with right around 19.5 points per game, four and a half boards. Not necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooter, but that's what Aaron Clark is for. Clark is giving you 17 points on nearly 44 three-point shooting wound up dealing with a little bit of an ailment has come back and he's been able to give the team a combined 43 points in the last two games. Nico Gallette has been able to give you nine points, nine and a half boards, doing a good job down low. You've got a Sacred Heart team that doesn't necessarily generate a lot of blocks. They themselves turn the ball over nearly 14 and a half times per game, but Mike Sixsmith being back in the fold after he shot darn near 40% from three-point range last season is critical. And when you take a look at this bunch with regards to Sacred Heart, I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit more out of Alex Watson, who's been able to give the team nine points per game last year. He wanted being able to roll out right around two and a half assists per game. Hasn't done as much of that this year, but I do think that he's going to be able to help out this offense. Set Rhode Island as a 14 and a half point favorite, so I'm going to be taking the 15 and a half here with Sacred Heart. Made this total 135 and a half, so here at 138, going to be diving under. 306 003, 306 004. If you got Providence, that they're going to be playing us in Vermont. Vermont is an eight point underdog with your total on this game, 129. When it comes to Vermont, they've been playing some very slow and very grimy games, and I think that they're going to be able to hold in there in this spot. I want to make them a 7.5-point underdogs, so here at the 8, I'm willing to take the points, and a big reason why I do think that Vermont is going to be able to hold in there is that you've got one of the more efficient players in all of college basketball, Ryan Davis. With regards to points scored on a per-minute basis, Leicester was in the top 5 among qualifying players so far this year, 17 points, half boards, a block and a half per game, so he's been great as a 6-foot-8 combo player. Isaiah Boom Boom Powell, I think he's going to be able to match up with Noah Horsler Horsler for Providence. 12 points, 8 boards, shooting 46% from 3 as a six-foot-eight combo player. But Mr. Boom Boom Powell, 11.5 points, 7 boards. He's able to let it fly from 3 last year. Shot 39% from 3. Now Nate Watson going to be an immovable force. 15 points, 5.5 boards. Just such a good scoring big man. And then Jared Bynum has been able to give this Providence team right around 4 assists. Doesn't necessarily score a lot. You've got a Vermont team that doesn't necessarily have that one main point guard, but Ben Jungu is able to let it fly right around 13 points, 4.5 boards, shoots 34% from 3 point range. And then i like like Robin Duncan. Guy just does all the little things for this team. A guy that is only tripping in there right around 2 points per game, but also 4 boards, 2 assists, a little bit over 11% 3-point shooting, so he certainly doesn't do a lot there, but Justin Missoula along with Finn Sullivan, both of these guys give you right around 7 points per game so they're able to fill in there. Vermont has good depth when it comes to their guard play, so I think that they hang in there. I think that they're going to get their style of extremely stinking slow as well. Set this solo on 125.5. Going to be diving under, and Willing to take an eight here with Vermont. Three of six, zero, zero, five, three of six, zero, zero, six. You've got Yale and the Bulldogs are going to be playing us at Albany. Albany's find themselves a 12 point underdog and your total this game is 130. One well, setting Yale as a 13 point favorite when it comes to Yale. They certainly have had their ups and downs, but I mean, this is still a team that has a 20 point win on their ledger over UMass. And then you just take a look at what you're able to get on the flip side for Albany. And it's been a team in transition. Devondre Perry has come in from Temple with right around 12 and a half points, five and a half points, a guy that's shooting 35% from three point range. But then you take a look at the flip side and Azir Swain has been a very good scorer for Yale. 18 points, 4.5 boards. Not a guy that's shooting it well from three point range. Yale's collective shoots 32% for three, half percent the free throw line, but 11 turnovers per game with their tempo is actually very good. You've had Matthew Cotton along Jalen Owen, who have been able to combine for about 23 points per game. Gibbidowen and his five rebounds right now leading the way. You need a little bit more there. EJ Jarvis has been a little bit banged up, but he's been able to return to the fold for the team. 8 plus rebounds and now two out of the last three games, so that should be able to help out. When it comes to Alba, It's a bunch of which, under new coach Dwayne Killings, they just don't necessarily have that Good scoring touch, for lack of a better term. They're shooting twenty six and a half percent from 65% percent the free throw line. But I think that Yale is going to be able to speed things up with Albany committing right around fourteen turnovers per game. I think that Yale is going to be able to get some run out layups. So uh, I set Yale as a thirteen point favorite. I made this total one forty one. So laying it with Yale, and I'm taking the over three of six zero zero seven, three of six zero zero eight. Florida A and M is going to be playing us, Florida Gulf Coast. Dunk City is a four point favorite with your total one thirty eight and a half. When it comes to Dunk City, set them as a three and a half point favorite. So here at a four, I'm going to be taking a look at. Florida and A&M. AM is a team that they've brought back darn near everyone from the last few years. And when it comes to Florida AM, what I like for this team, MJ Randolph guy is six foot four and does it all. 18 and a half points, six boards, shooting 34% from three. 2.5 steals per game. list goes on and on. Down low, this is a team that they are going to be bludgeoning a little bit. Kevin Samuel is the best little post player in this game. Comes in from TCU. 10 points, 8.5 boards, 3 blocks, a steal per game. So he's been able to do a nice job there. Atavion Dunmartin is a good peer score. 18 points, 4 assists per game. Shooting 38% per 3, but is also turning the ball over nearly 4 times per game. This is a Florida AM and team that they generate nearly 8 steals per game. So they're able to turn you over. You've been able to get right around 11 points per game as well out of Jalen Spear. Spears, someone that shoots right around 32% from three, both Florida a and This is a team that with regards to percentage of their shots that they take from three-point range, they're always towards the bottom of college basketball. They're not going to be reliant upon that. They're instead going to be reliant upon being able to get steals, being able to get some second chances. And I think that they're going to get enough of them with Bryce Moranje being able to give you nine points, six half boards, does a good job down low with three and a half steals per game as well. I think the Florida a and is going to cause Florida Gulf Coast to malfunction a little bit with regards to their offense, turn the ball over quite a bit, I think that's going to be a sloppier game. Set this all at 134, so diving under. And with getting 4+, plus, going to take the points here with Florida A&M. 6 9 You've got Georgia and they're going to be playing against Jacksonville. Jacksonville is a 9.5-point underdog with your total 128.5. Jacksonville has actually been relatively solid with their defense, but Georgia, I just think, is the more talented team here. I want to say Georgia as a 13-point favorite when it comes to Bulldogs. What i like to see out of this team is the fact that they've been able to cut down on the turnovers just a little bit. It certainly is an issue. You've still got Got Tom Crean at the helm of this team and I have never been bullish on Tom Crean personally, but you do look at Braylon Bridges, he's been able to do a nice job coming in from UIC, 12 and half points, 5.5 rebounds you've also got Jalen Ingram, someone that can be very intermiss for this team but he's been able to pump in there, 10.5 points 6.5 boards, shooting 32% per 3 89% the free throw line as a collective George is only shooting about 31% per 3 and the 14 14.5 turnovers per game are an issue, but with Aaron Cook, he also does dish out 7 assists along with his 3.5 turnovers per game, 11 points per contest, as been a little bit banged up he did wind up missing that game against Memphis and even without him in that game against Memphis they were still able to get the outright win so that is something that you do want to be keeping note of and honestly with him off the floor they looked a little bit more efficient then you take a look at Jordan Davis and he for Jacksonville has been able to chip in their 12 points per game he comes over for Middle Tennessee you got a Jacksonville team that they're shooting 28 percent from three at Georgia defense, that they are giving up the three-point arc, so that's a little bit of something to take a look at. You've had Tommy Bruner come in from USC Upstate with nine points per game, but you really don't have a lot of rebounds for this team with Jacksonville. Osei, Osifo has been able to give you eight points, right around six boards per game, and then you've been able to get Darnier near five boards per game whenever Tyrese Davis has been out there. He was missing for quite a bit of time, came back in the game against Charleston Southern, eight points, six boards, so looks like he's himself, but with that said, I do think that Georgia is going to be able to win this game, even without Aaron Cook being off the court. If he winds up missing this game, once again, wound up setting Georgia as a 13-point favorite, even if he does not wind up playing. And with this total, set it at a 135. Georgia has been able to do a good job of being able to push tempo a little bit. I think that both teams are going to be able to find some open looks and be able to hit them. So, I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and I'm going to be laying the points here with Georgia. 3 of 6, 0, 11, 3 of 6, 0, 12. You've got Furman, and they're going to be in the road to face off against Winthrop. Winthrop finds themselves as a home underdog with your total of this game, 1. 53. I set the total at a 163. You've got a pair of teams that are in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game going at it. to very efficient offenses as well. And when it comes to Furman, they've got experience being able to get big road wins, set them as a two and a half point favorite when it comes to the Paladins. What I love for this team is what you're able to get out of the backcourt. Mike Bothwell is giving you just below 20 points per game. You've been able to get Jalen Lawson to be able to do a good job down low for this team as he's been able to haul in their nine rebounds. And he's a little bit of a versatile guy. He's been able to chip in their 17 points, shooting 35% from 3-point range as a six foot seven combo player with 2.5 blocks, 2 steals, 2.5 assists per game as well. One of the more underrated players in college basketball. And the main facilitator Alex Hunter, 4 assists, 17.5 points per game, shooting 47.5% from 3-point range. And then you take a look at Winthrop and they've got Drew Bugs, who does a great job of just a little things when it comes to this team. Literally is averaging right around 4.5 points per game but 3.5 assists per game. Shoots 36% from 3. So whenever he fires it up he hits DJ Burns. He has been Terrific down low for the team. 17 points, four and a half points. He was actually the number three recruit in the state of South Carolina a few years ago. Number one was Zion Williamson. Number two was Aaron Eastmith. Then you take a look at Patrick Good and Corey Hightower. These two guys are combining to give you 26 and a half points per game, combining to shoot about 45% from three point range. Hightower did wind up missing a game earlier this year, but I do think that he's going to be able to return to form after a couple of, we'll call them dud performances for the team. But I do think that Winthrop is going to be just a little bit outgunned because you do have good versatility when it comes to. This Furman team. They're not necessarily the world's steepest team, but they've got a lot of guys that they just are in very good shape in general. They do a good job of just being able to fill them where needed as well. So, Seth Furman is a two and a half point favorite. Seth is total on 163.5. So, we're going to be going over, and I'm going to be willing to lay the one and a half here with Furman. 306 013, 6, 014. You've got yourself East Carolina playing against the North Carolina AT. Ante It's find themselves a 10.5 point underdog in your total on this game. It is 136.5. When it comes to East Carolina, they are a bunch that has been pushing the temple a little bit more this year. They've been very very efficient and a big reason why Vance Jackson. Vance Jackson has come in from a variety of schools, you're able to throw out there UConn, New Mexico, whatever school you want to throw out there because he's played for darn near all of them. But he's right now shooting 36% for three, eight and a half points per game. As a six foot nine combo player, Tristan Newton has really been the key to this backcourt, though. 18 and a half points per game, shooting 38% for three, five assists per game. Brandon Suggs is able to chip in there, 12 and a half points, four boards, and Newton and Suggs are combining for three and a half steals per game. Meanwhile, you take a look at AT and. You have Cameron Langley who, two seasons ago, he was the top player with regards to assists per game in all of college basketball last year. He's one of the best players with regards to generating assists. Only six points per game this season, but right around five and a half assists, two steals per game, so he's been able to do a nice job of being able to provide the little things with AT. They're shooting 60%, the free throw line. They have throttled down a little bit from past years. Dimitri Horton has come in from IPFW with 10 points, four and a half boards, and Marcus Watson has been able to shoot about 35 and a half percent per three. Six foot six combo player is chipping in there, 12 and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. But you don't have a lot of size on low When it comes to the team, it's not like East Carolina isn't necessarily massive or anything like that. But I do think that AT should be able to do a relatively solid job of being able to get some open looks against an East Carolina offense that they have been able to hit their threes, but they've also given up their threes as well. I think that AT has been a tad unlucky to begin the year, and East Carolina's been a little bit lucky as well. So I did wind up lining this as East Carolina laying nine and a half points. So anything at double digits willing to take a shot here, our North Carolina AT and AT. I think it's going to pump up the tempo a little bit more. Set this auto at 145. So going over and going to be taking the points with AT. 3 at 6. 015 through a 6016. You've got Merrimack and the Warriors are going to be playing us against Brown. What can Brown do for you if they win by more than a point? They're going to be able to cover a point spread as they're a one-point favorite in your turn on this game. It's 119. I think that this total should be relatively low, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a funky matchup for Brown. So I want to making Merrimack a two-point home favorite. So I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line. It's just so hard to be able to prepare for this Merrimack team because they just come at you and they do a great job of being able to generate turnovers. And then you take a look at Brown and you've been able to get quite a bit out of the backcourt out of Keno Lilly Jr. He, along with Dan Friday, have been able to combine for about 22.5 points per game, five assists, three steals. You've got Lilly Jr. shooting 95% the free throw line and right around 39.5% for three as a collective. Brown only shoots 31% per three, but 74.5% the free throw line. They're not great at taking care of the ball, but they're not terrible. Down low, you've had Tim and Ink Cho, who wound up having a rough start to begin the year on mystery games. He's starting to come alive. 10.7 at boards, so you do like to see that after he during the 2019 20 season was averaging more like 14 points and 8 boards per game, but Jordan Miner is a very major part of this Merrimack team. 14 points, 6 half boards, 2 blocks, a seal and a half per game. As a collective, you've got a Merrimack team that is getting right around 10 seals per game. They're only shooting about 32% per 3, but they themselves do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Mikey Watkins along with Mike Deering are combining for 19 points per game. Watkins right around 3 assists per game. And when it comes to Merrimack, certainly not a great rebounding team, but you're able to get just enough rebounding from the team as well. You've had Ziggy Reed be able to give you six and a half points, 4.5 points. Does a lot of the dirty work for the team. So I take a look at Merrimack. I think that they're going to be able to do just enough in this game against Brown. I do think that you're going to be able to find some late game fouling, and neither of these teams are too bad at the free line. So I think that the 119 is just a tad too low. Set this total at on 124.5 and a half. made Merrimack a two-point favorite. So taking Merrimack on the money line and the over. 306-017, 306-018. You've got Kentucky and Big Blue Nation is finding themselves a 27.5 point home favorite against Southern with your total on this game, 143.5 when it comes to Southern. It has been a very gritty bunch, but Kentucky is just a team that they hit differently. I mean, you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Oscar Sheboy. He is right now leading all of college basketball with regards to rebounds per game. 16 rebounds per game. In regards to missed shots that resulted in an offensive rebound, he is the number one player in all of college basketball with regards to his efficiency, a block and a half per game, and a steal. So it's going to be tough for Damian Sears, who is giving Southern right around 6 half rebounds per game to be able to match up. Sears is someone that I think is going to be finding himself in very early foul trouble. Now, when it comes to Southern, they are shooting 38.5% from three-point range, but they haven't seen the length that the guards of Kentucky present. And then when you take a look at Tyrone Lions for the Southern team, he's been good. 14 points, right around five and a half rebounds per game, shooting 58% from three-point range, but as we know, that's not necessarily sustainable. P.J. Bird, he is more around eight and a half points, three and a half assists, and just above 40% from three-point range. That is a little bit more sustainable. I think that he's going to be able to do a relatively solid job, but then you take a look at Kentucky. You bring in Kellen Grady, who had 17-plus points per game in all four of his years at Davidson. He's shooting 42% per three-point range. Kentucky, as a collective, shoots 78% at the free-throw line. As a matter of fact, each out of their top eight scorers are all shooting at least 71% at the free-throw line. They've been without Davion Mintz the last few games. I expect him to be out, but... Keon Brooks after he wound up missing a game or two this year. He's been able to return. He's been relatively solid. He wound up giving the team 17 plus points and now two out of the last three games, 13 and a half points, five and a half boards. This team is just loaded, especially with Ty Ty Washington as freshman, being able to emerge 15 points, three assists, a steal, five boards. He just does it all and the turnovers have been kept under control ever since that two game as well. So, I take a look at Kentucky. I think that they should be able to manhandle Southern, set them as a 27 and a half point favorite. So, want to lay the 27. Set this all at 143 and a half as well. I think that it's going to be a lot of one and dones for Southern on this side, and I think that their three point shooting percentage is going to dip. So, diving under and laying the points here with Kentucky. 306 019, 306 020. LaSalle is going to be playing us fairly Dickinson. Fairly Dickinson hopes to be fairly priced as a 10 point underdog with your total 146. I said LaSalle is a 16 point favorite. Fairley Dickinson is one of the worst teams in college basketball at this point. I recognize that LaSalle isn't necessarily great, but you've got Christian Ray along Jack Clark. Both of these guys have been able to do a relatively solid job down low. They're both being being able to combine for about 14 ish rebounds per game, so that has been relatively solid when it comes to Ray, a guy that's not necessarily able to shoot it from three, but that's why you've got Jamari Breakus along Sharif Kennedy. These two guys are combined to shoot about 37.5% from three point range. With Kenny, he's been able to give you a steal per game along 10 points per game. Breakus, more of a facilitator with just under three assists per game. You've also been able to get a little bit of everything out of Anwar Gill five and a half points, four boards, three assists, a steal and a half per game. He just does all the little things for the the same Fairly Dickinson, nobody does the little things with this team. You don't have a single guy giving you more than 4.3 rebounds per game for Fairly Dickinson. Got a lot of guys that they're looking to get three-point shot happy, and they're hitting about 36% of their threes, but they're also turning the ball over 15.5 times per game. Brandon Rush and also Damian Dunn. These two guys are combining for 25 and a half points per game, but they're combining for six turnovers per game to only about 4.5 assists. You've got no facilitation with this team. They don't play a lot of defense. You really have nothing when it comes to being able to provide even sort of I would call it a speed bump down low. And a big reason why is because they have been without Pierre Oliver Racine, who was relatively solid down low for this team last year. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of Joe Munden Jr. He's been able to give you five and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game. But last year, he chipped in there seven points per game. So that has been a little bit of an issue. He's been, it seems like a tad bit banged up. So I take a look at LaSalle. I think that they've got a lot more depth. I think that they play much better defense in general. i fairly Dickinson right now playing the Ole style of defense. Set this all on 145 just because Dickinson... Has been playing a little bit slower this year, so I'm going to be looking at an under. I'm to lay up to 16 here with LaSalle, so laying the points. 3 of 6, 0, 21 3 of 6, 0, 22 George Mason is going to be playing against Navy. Navy is a three-point dog, and your total on this game is 130 and a half. George Mason, I set them as an eight-point favorite. When it comes to Navy, they do a good job of being able to slow down games, make things grimy, but when it comes to George Mason, after they wound up having their little bit of a rut, I do think that they're going to be able to emerge out of it. They wound up taking that loss against Old Dominion a few days ago but you still have Josh Oduro. I think he's going to be able to dominate down low. 16.5 points 6.5 points. He's shooting about 28% per 3 with a block and a half per game so say able to give you some versatility. Now John Carter Jr. is the art and soul of Navy. 14.5 points. 4.5 points. Shooting 37.5% per 3 point range down low Greg Summers. it's able to give you 5.5 points 9 points per game after he wound up having a little bit of a rough start with regards to the offensive production. 11 points per game in 3 of the last 4. But Xavier Johnson on the flip side for this George Mason team. Right around three and a half boards, four assists, a seal and a half per game. He just does all the little things for the team. When it comes to George Mason, they have fallen with regards to their offensive efficiency, but still shooting 35 and a half percent from three-point range to Sean Schwartz along Von Cooper. A pair of guys that wind transferring into the program, a combined 28 and a half points and four and a half assists per game out of them. You've also been able to get right around 10 and a half points and eight and a half rebounds out of Devontae Gaines as a six-foot, seven-ish combo player who's been shooting over 50 percent from three-point range. When it comes to George Mason, when it comes to their top five scores, at least Four of them are shooting 75 percent at the free throw line, so I do think that George Mason is going to be able to win this game with their efficiency. Navy does a solid job of being able to force turnovers, but they themselves turn the ball over a little bit too much as well. They don't have size down low, so I want to saying George Mason as an eight-point favorite. Made the total 126 and a half as well. I think that it's going to be very much a slow and control game. So diving under and landing here with the Patriots, three of six zero twenty three, three of 6-0-24. Princeton is going to be playing us a Buck now. The bracket and Bison find themselves a 14 and a half point underdog, in your total this game is one. 15 F. When it comes to Bucknell, certainly has been a team that has been one of the least efficient on defense this season. They're in the bottom 35 with high regard, but you do have Alex Zimmerman along with Andre Screen. A pair of guys that should be able to do a solid job down low. They're combining for 20 points, 14 boards, and you'll be able to have screen, give you nearly a block per game with Bucknell. They're shooting 80% the free throw line and 35% from three-point range as you've got the Funk. Andrew Funk, 39.5% three-point shooter with 19.5 points, four and a half boards per game, and then Xander Rice, four assists to right around two and a half turnovers per game. Now Bucknell, 15 turnovers per game. A little bit of that is because they do play a little bit more up-tempo. You take a look at Princeton. Not a team that's necessarily going to seek out a whole bunch of steals. You've got Jalen Llewellyn headlining the offense with right around 15 and a half points. He's been able to shoot about 34% from three. More impressively, 89% the free throw line. Ethan Wright as a 6'4 do-it-all player. 14 and a half points. 8 and a half boards. 44% three-point shooter. So that's been solid. But what I think is going to be really intriguing for this team is what you're going to be able to get out of six foot eight Tucson Eva Blum. He has been able to give the team 14 points, five and a half boards, four and a half assists. He just does it all aside from really shoot three. So that's been solved for Princeton. Princeton is a team that they can be a little bit in or miss with regards to their offense. They do a nice job of not turning it all ball over Shoots 36% for three, but also 68% the free throw line, which has me a little bit sourier. I do feel like the two touchdowns and extra points might be a little bit too much. I said Princeton as a 12-point favorite. I do think that Bucknell is going to do a little bit of a better job of being able to shut down the arc in this one, set this one at 148, so diving under and taking the points with Bucknell. 306025, 25 3060, 26 you've got Santa Clara, and they're going to be playing against the Mount St. Mary's. Mount finds themselves a half point underdog. Your tallest game is 134. The Santa Clara team has been a little bit different because they've been dealing with mono with Joseph Varenkic so that has taken a little bit of explosiveness away from this offense, but you still have Jalen Williams along PJ Pipes out there in the backcourt. These two guys have been able to combine for about 32 points per game with Williams being the main scorer 20 points per game. Both of these guys shoot between 38 and 39% per 3. Varenkic only wound up playing the first three games of the season ever since that it has not been seen. So, Keyshawn Justice has had to step up. Six foot seven combo player. He's been able to give the team 15 points, half boards, 3 assists, shooting 47% per 3. Santa Clara as a collective shoots 76 6.6% free throw line, 13 percent from Teresa. They've done a nice job there. Parker Braun, the Missouri transfer, 9.6 boards, two assists. So he's contributed in a wide variety of ways. But I do take a look at Mount St. Mary's, one of the slowest teams in college basketball. I think that they're going to be able to get their way a little bit more in this game because they do have so much down low. You've got Malik Jefferson giving you eight points, seven and a half boards, a little bit over a block per game. Nana Akpu, a block and a half, along nine points, five boards per game. Mezzi Offram, nine points, four and a half boards. So these guys have been absolutely tremendous for the team. The Mount shooting about 33% from three. That's not great, but it's not terrible. 72% the free fly, that'll fly as well. The 15 turnovers per game, that is a little bit unsightly you've got a Santa Clara bunch of that they themselves though only get right around 60 L's per game and Jalen Benjamin the UAB transfer I think is going to be able to keep the Mount live he's shooting 42% for three 91% the free throw line 13 and half points 3.7 assists per game so I do like the way that he's been able to come along at least 19 points and now three of the team's last five games as well so he is able to score and keep teams in it. So, I take a look at the spot. Set Santa Clara's at 13 and a half point favorite. The losses are a little bit of something for the team. I do think that Santa Clara is going to be able to get some effortless buckets, but I do think that things are going to be slowed down. Set this all at 133, so diving under as well. And wrap things up with 3 of 6, 027, 3 of 6, 028. USC is going to be playing out to East Carolina. East Carolina is an 18-point underdog with your turn game 151. East Carolina last year was in the top five with regards to possessions per game in all of college basketball. they slowed down a little bit, but they're still certainly a top 40 team. They're still a team that they're looking to get a bunch of turnovers in. They've actually got a bunch of guys that are right around 6'6", 6'7", that have good versatility. Jansen Williams and Michael Moreno are both giving you 13 points per game. Both of these guys are 6'7", or taller. Both guys give you a combined about 6.5 rebounds per game apiece, with Moreno about 2 steals per game. They're combining to shoot 40% from 3, nearly 77% at the free throw line. Braxton Beverly, who comes in from NC State, 10.5 points per game, so that's been solid. And then, Cooper Robb, along Devontae Blanton. They combined for 19 points, right around 8.5 rebounds per game, 6 assists. So you've got a lot of guys doing good things for Eastern Kentucky. And they're shooting 37% per 3-point range. Meanwhile, you take a look at USC. And this is a Trojans bunch in which they have been very good in the backcourt and not turning it about the ball over 9 times per game is what they're turning it over at. Boogie Ellis, 16 points per game. A guy that's shooting over 40% for 3-point range, a little bit over a seal per game. And then you've got Isaiah Mosley, 13 points, 9 boards, Three assists at six foot... Eleven seven 7 footage. He's able to shoot 32% from three point range. You've been able to have Drew Peterson. Great name. Give you 10 points, 5.5 boards, 4 assists. So he contributes in a wide variety of ways. And Chavez Goodwin should be able to do a good job down low. 12 and a half points, 7 boards per game. Big problem with USC, they shoot 57% at the free throw line. That is going to hurt them a little bit. They do a good job of be able to dish out the ball. Ethan Anderson is able to give you right around seven points, two and a half assists out there in the backcourt. But that free throw shooting has me concerned. Eastern Kentucky, they play very fast. They're not afraid to foul. So I want to. Sending USC as a 13 point favorite, so wanted we'll to take the points here with Eastern Kentucky. Set this one at 153 as well. So going over, and that will wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops. Now a part of the Vism Family Podcast. A big thanks to Tony Beddock, doing a great job covering all things Wisconsin sports. He joined me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you got one or two ways we'll fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at @gunit1. Keep in mind, letters, her see them. Amy does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find the five-star review. They're gonna be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.